This is Tom Lee, Editor-in-Chief for NEJM Catalyst, and we're talking today uh, with Andrew Massica. He's the SVP and Chief Medical Officer uh, for Reliable Health under Texas Health Resources, very large delivery system in Texas. And we're talking because I recently had a conversation with Andrew, and he had some really interesting insights into the evolving role of the chief medical officer, and he brought up a model with three different types, uh, which brought some interesting structure to uh, something I'm very interested in, and to understand those models and how they fit with different types of healthcare organizations. Uh, we'll talk first about uh, Andrew's work at Texas Health Resources and his organization and his current priorities, uh, and then talk a little bit more about the, the model itself. So first, Andrew, not all of our listeners will know know much about Texas Health Resources. Can you just describe your organization structurally for a few minutes? Sure. So first off, thank you, Tom, and, and appreciate the opportunity to, to speak about this. So um, Texas Health Resources is a nonprofit, uh, faith-based, uh, integrated delivery organization in North Texas. Uh, the system includes over 350 points of care access, including 28 inpatient care facilities and 250 community access points. Uh, we also have more than 25,000 employees and 6,000 uh, affiliated physicians on our medical staff, 1,000 of whom are, uh, are in our employed physicians group. So 1,000 employed physicians and 5,000 affiliate physicians who are not employed. Uh, I'm sure that's evolving, and maybe you can say uh, a bit about Texas Health Resources' current top strategic priorities and how they've been evolving over the last decade. Sure. So I think I'd, I'll, I'll touch on two points there. So the first is about 18 months ago, uh, we had a structural uh, realignment in our organization, and the intent there was really to uh, become a more consumer-centric organization that provided care and services across a continuum. And, and the pillars of that organizational model, if you, if you think of the consumer as being at the center of that, we, we moved to a platform of having channels. So channels are the interfaces where care is delivered. So there's a hospital channel, an ambulatory channel, uh, a virtual care channel, uh, just as, uh, as examples of that. And then we also have, surrounding that, capabilities, uh, which uh, are uh, how we conduct uh, those, uh, those interactions within the channels with the consumers. So uh, my title is Chief Medical Officer of Reliable Health. Reliable Health uh, is what, what drives quality, safety, and experience uh, as, uh, as a pathway to value uh, within that new structure. So, um, uh, so that's, that's sort of the first point. The second point is uh, our big picture strategic priorities are to move from being uh, a single business unit that was, uh, that was focused on uh, acute episodes of care to a more diverse ecosystem. So we, we've been evolving in that direction uh, really for the past five to six years. But what that looks like is if you have a portfolio of what we call traditional services, uh, either based in the hospital or clinics, uh, we, we've, we're trying to expand the portfolios in two other areas. So the first are, are digital uh, and re retail offerings, uh, other, other services that we would offer consumers, uh, employers in our community uh, that would promote health and wellness. Uh, and then uh, the, other, the, the other portfolio has to do with 
uh, an in increasing activity uh, in, in risk-based contracts and value-based care. So uh, just in terms of where, where the overall healthcare market is heading, our structural realignment uh, was uh, designed to, to position us to compete uh, in, those, in those spaces and grow, uh, grow our presence in those, uh, the, the more diverse set of portfolios. Within that, uh, I, would, I would touch on four, four strategies that are top of mind. So the first is growth. Uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area is, uh, is a rapidly growing population center, and uh, we want to make sure that we remain competitive in the market uh, and uh, that uh, the, the, new, uh, the new individuals and the, the new population moving into the market, that, uh, that we're able to capture that and provide uh, high-quality services to them. Uh, the second strategic priority surrounds uh, capacity and access to care. And this isn't the traditional model of capacity uh, where it's just talking about building more hospital beds. This is really creating different access points, uh, virtual access points, partnerships uh, with community care locations, uh, again, to be consistent with uh, a continuum uh, of services. Uh, the third would be strategic collaborations. Uh, with, uh, with different partners, uh, both nas nationally and in the Dallas-Fort Worth community. Uh, I think the, the efficiencies of trying to build everything in-house, uh, it's not necessarily something you want to do. So whether it be an academic partnership, a research partnership, or something with, a, uh, with an employer, I think we're looking very closely at, uh, at, at different innovative models uh, that we can deploy there. And I, the, the final uh, big bucket strategy is organizational agility uh, and how do we maintain and support our workforce uh, during trying times. So uh, those, those are the four top of mind priorities at the organizational level. Uh, well, you know, those are really interesting. And, you know, I would say that uh, it, when I came out of medical school and began my career a few decades ago, uh, words like reliability and value weren't prominent on on the minds of physician leaders uh growth certainly was the first of your four strategies uh, uh and improving access probably was but strategic collaborations you know having a more agile culture trying to become highly reliable trying to improve value uh, these were no one was against those things, but uh, I can't say that they were the focus. And so I'm not surprised, but I'm uh, reassured to hear the clarity with which Texas Health Resources uh, is thinking about uh, what it needs to do. And uh, its thinking probably has something to do with why they hired you, someone who is different from some of the traditional models of CMOs. Can you lay out for our listeners what you consider the, the two more traditional models of CMOs to be and uh, the third model, which uh, I think you represent? No, so certainly. And, and really, I think these aren't, these aren't mutually exclusive, but, it, but if you, uh, they're, they're really different functions of the CMO role that, uh, that need to be dialed down, uh, up or down accordingly sort of based on where organizational is and also based on the context uh, of specific events. Uh, so I think the, the sort of the first function and where many of the CMO roles started was more as a medical staff liaison uh, in terms of physician engagement and alignment uh, with the organization, uh, if there were uh, any sort of behavioral aspects that, that needed to be addressed, 
uh, I think that was very much uh, in the wheelhouse of the of the CMO. Uh, uh, over the past 10 to 15 years, there's been an increasing focus on uh, quality and safety as being directly in the purview uh, of the CMO uh, as what health systems are accountable for and what we're actually able to measure uh, as that has increased. I think that has become uh, a critical component of day-to-day -day CMO activity. But uh, I, we're, given where the general market is headed towards uh, a movement uh, for value-based care, I think the next evolution of the CMO and the next uh, function of the CMO position is really going to be promoting transformation and organizing around value. Uh, and that's, that's a, the, the skills that one would need there uh, are uh, being comfortable with pushing innovation, uh, being, uh, having, a, having a degree of acumen with data and analytics and really serving as a translator for data and analytics. And then uh, being, uh, the, the bottom line is, is uh, comfort with being a change agent. Uh, these, are, uh, these are not easy models to shift. They're, they're well ingrained. So uh, I think uh, facilitating uh, that transformation has, has, has been added uh, to the CMO, uh, CMO job uh, set of responsibilities. Well, you know, this framework that you lay out, I actually think is a terrific one. And uh, and I've been testing it with other people I've talked to since we had our conversation, and they they like it too. Uh, uh, one person said to me, his framework brings order to what I've considered a chaotic career that I've been pursuing. <laughs> um, uh, I think of the first phase where you talk about relationships as one where, you know, what you really needed to be a good chief medical officer was you needed the trust of your colleagues that uh, uh, you could broker relationships and make sure that uh, bad apples were in fact detected and good apples were in, for, uh, were in fact recognized. The second phase, I, I feel like it's pursuing high reliability. It took some understanding of systems to actually uh, work to make care reliably safe, to pursue zero harm and uh, analogous goals in other areas. But the third one, transformation uh, of the organization into a strategic uh, animal that can compete in the marketplace that really needs high value care, uh, that's, something, uh, that's something beyond high reliability. So how did you pick up the skills that enabled you to be a type two and type three CMO, at least uh, in the hopes of Texas Health Resources? So uh, my, my, first, my first comment would be that, uh, that uh, those, those three functions that we just talked about, that um, uh, those, I think, about, I think it's, it's not an either or, it's an additive uh, type of relationship. So that uh, if even even if you are uh, have been asked primarily to be uh, or, or more focused on the uh, the transformation elements of being a CMO, the quality and safety, and then the medical staff engagement is still uh, part and parcel of what you're doing day to day. So I think think of it more as additive uh, rather than an either or. In terms of uh, my my own background and journey. Uh, early on when I considered a career in medicine, part of the appeal was that it, it allowed a number of different pathways uh, and there were a number of different skills uh, and experiences that one could apply uh, in a career as a physician and I've, I found that uh, to be very true. Um, I still love clinical medicine. 
uh, that's uh, I've practiced as a hospitalist for more than 18 years, and that really provides a strong foundation for everything I do in the quality, care transformation, and research space. Uh, more specifically, uh, I think there were a couple of events that uh, helped prepare me uh, for this particular track. So the first was uh, after my internal medicine residency, I did a research fellowship and uh, took a master's course and, and gained some skills in uh, biostatistics, epidemiology, and study design, and translated that into a, a health services research track. Uh, health services research, health system science, that, that type of research uh, is very useful uh, for uh, helping to shape care delivery uh, and, and uh, being a facilitator for transformation because that's by the nature of what you're doing, uh, your health services research is really focused on uh, evaluation of care and care delivery models. So I think that, that was one, uh, one element of it. The other element, as I mentioned, I've, I've practiced uh, as a hospitalist. Uh, you're right in the mix of, of frontline patient care. Uh, and so anything from uh, implementation of EHRs to uh, how a health system would deal with the different quality metrics that they're asked to report, uh, you're, you're living that day to day, and you really have an opportunity to see uh, where, uh, the, where the high yield care improvement efforts uh, uh, are, are available uh, to, to act upon. And then lastly, uh, I've been fortunate to be a part of uh, forward thinking organizations and had good mentoring, uh, particularly in terms of people who gave me opportunities. Uh, to to lead different projects, so so collectively, I think it's those were, those were the factors that uh, uh, I feel prepared me uh, to to tackle this this uh, type of uh, uh, the, the the third evolution of the CMO role. Well, from our prior discussions, I would throw in there and throw in there that before your medical education began, you majored in history, and you so you've got the big picture. And I think your ability to communicate, to write, and to speak uh, clearly and well, and think clearly and well, uh, are probably essential ingredients as well. But so, how are the physicians and other leaders of Texas Health Resources responding to uh, an agenda that really must still feel fairly new? So. Uh, I, I, so far, uh, I've, I've had a, a great experience with Texas Health Resources. I started about two weeks uh, before the first cases of COVID-19 hit the DFW area. And uh, if, you, if you think about from a, from a big picture standpoint, if the, 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 the push towards value-based care, uh, and it's, there's obviously there's differing rates depending on what, uh, what part of the U.S. one lives in, but uh, if that pathway was, was five to seven years in the timeline where we would have uh, uh, significant percentages uh, of, uh, of value-based care arrangements in place, uh, I think what, what COVID has done is it sort of reset the market. And uh, uh, it, it see, the, the time horizon now seems to be two to three years rather than that more extended time period. So with that, uh, I think there's been a recognition uh, from uh, physicians, uh, certainly in our market and also across the U.S., uh, the interdependencies and how, uh, how everything is connected uh, between health systems and the medical staff. So I think that has really brought that to light uh, and, and really creates sort of a, uh, 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 an imperative to move on this faster than we might have otherwise. Uh, some specific examples uh, where uh, this, this new model seems to be uh, moving forward at a good pace. 
the, the first would be in terms of the partnerships. Uh, we do have uh, an affiliation agreement with University of Texas Southwestern, and we've created a clinically integrated network called the Southwestern Health Resources. Uh, Southwestern Health Resources has been a top performer uh, in the next generation ACO model uh, in terms of, gen of uh, Medicare savings. And so uh, the, we feel that that is going to be an outstanding platform uh, to continue to push uh, that movement towards value-based care. So uh, early returns on that have been promising. We think there's a lot more we can do in that space. Uh, the second would be uh, converting to uh, more of a, what I would call a fully empowered clinical service line model. Clinical service lines uh, as a way, uh, really as an enterprise level node, to define best practice, uh, to, to track quality and safety, and also to have a clinical voice uh, in, in the strategy uh, for really how to, how to provide a set of services across the care continuum. Uh, and and we have, we're starting to make some, some headway uh, moving from a conceptual model uh, to, some, to, to that, that approach as being something that physicians really buy into. And uh, unsolicited, I've had a number of physicians reach out to me and uh, actively uh, suggest and want to be a part uh, of those service lines uh, as we look at constructing those. And the last piece would be in the research and education space. Uh, as we look at our strategic collaborations across uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area, uh, the, uh, the, the interest in research and really being part of the, the learning health system model where you, not only do you synthesize external evidence, but you generate new real-world evidence uh, as part of day-to-day -day responsibilities in a healthcare system. There's been a lot of interest from physicians and from the organization uh, recognizing our responsibility there. So that, that's very promising, and that's something that we, we want to grow our capacity in as well. Well, uh, thanks so much, Andrew. I have to say that uh, your perspectives and the potential suggested by uh, the kind of uh, new models that you talk about uh, are, are frankly really encouraging. They make me optimistic that we're, we are going to move even faster toward a high-value healthcare system, and I know we'll be uh, getting your in insights along the way as, uh, as NEGM Catalyst tries to share uh, share you know learnings from systems around the world uh, with our colleagues. So thank you once again, and uh, good luck with this work. Tom, thank you very much. Appreciate the opportunity to talk.